Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel 1 and 2. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had when, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back home to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, please tell every one of us in this sanctuary what we each need to hear according to your holy will. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer, 
chances are everyone has some notion of prayer, whether they practice it or not. But what happens in a prayer? There's us, and there's God in a prayer. Does anything happen with us, with God, in our relationship with God? One cynical person thinks the delusion occurs when you think something, someone else is hearing your thoughts and acting on them. Let's see what happens, if anything, by looking into the before, during, and after of one person's prayer. Part one, the before. We drop into the world of Hannah and her prayer journey. Hannah lived about 1100 BC in ancient Israel. Hannah was married to Elkanah, but Elkanah had a second wife named Penina. More than one wife was not in God's plan. In Genesis 2, God's call was for husband and wife to become one flesh. Why would Elkanah, who did worship the Lord, go contrary to God's blueprint? Perhaps because at that time, Israel was not only weak politically and economically, but had fallen into moral and spiritual weakness. This was still the time of the judges. The last verse of the book of Judges sums it up. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were drifting away from God. We find out right away in verse 2 that Penina had two children, but Hannah could not have children. In those days in Israel, if you were childless, it was like a curse. It could feel like you were being rejected by God. It was so significant because of God's blessing pledged in Genesis 12. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Hannah thought she was being left out of that amazing promise of God. To make matters worse, Penina flaunted her motherhood in front of Hannah, as verse 6 says, to provoke Hannah and irritate her. It's a good idea to stop here and notice where God is in this. We might be thinking, well, he's not in this yet. We're still in the before. But God is already in it. Before the before, God is at work. We learn quickly in verse 5, the reason Hannah is barren, because the Lord had closed her womb. God has prevented Hannah from having children. Why would he do such a thing? Let's stick with Hannah to find out. In spite of her barren state, Hannah was Elkanah's favorite. When Elkanah took the whole family to the religious center of Shiloh, he would give Hannah double portions at the feast. He thought his feelings for her would be enough to make up for her depression. Elkanah is puzzled in verse 8. Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Elkanah's view might have been somewhat self-centered, yet he did sincerely care for her and showed it. But Hannah needed what he couldn't give her. Hannah thinks she's lost her value. She felt worthless and helpless to do anything about it. She longed for a child. There were no fertility treatments in 1100 BC, 
We may not be able to identify with Hannah's shame for being barren. There's not the stigma there was then, but we can relate to Hannah's predicament in any situation where circumstances are beyond our control. We can't fix it. Or if it's about something that's tied to our identity, say our work, our family, our community. These days, maybe you or a friend or family members knows what it's like, for example, to be attacked or maligned on social media and helpless to do much about it. Kids in school are suffering from this problem especially. It might be similar to the shame or worthlessness that Hannah felt. And we may be able to relate to her longing for something we want so much but is out of reach. By this point, Hannah was so depressed she couldn't eat she just cried and prayed. Let's remember to go to God first. Not wait till after we've been suffering in our situation or trying to change it or get out of it, and we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, then we finally call out to the Lord. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is a wonderful symbolic vision of a follower of, a follower of Christ's walk through life. John Bunyan wrote about prayer. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. So on the Elkina family's worship trip to Shiloh, as soon as the others finished eating their sacrificial meal, Hannah went to pray. Part two, now we get to the during part of prayer. Hannah comes to the Lord in her need, not casually, not to check off prayer off the list, not as a duty, but passionately, urgently, desperately. She's not just going to send her words generically out into the universe or even pray through the priest who was nearby at the doorpost. She goes directly to God and bears her tormented soul. Maybe God prevented Hannah from having children not as punishment, but to draw her to him through her need. God uses our needs to show us we need him. So we should tell him our needs. In one translation, verse 10 says, Hannah came to her prayer in bitterness of soul. Though she had a husband that loved her and she was well provided for, she was bitter about her plight. Hannah wasn't a sinless person, and she confessed it. She was honest in her prayer. She laid out her frustration and disappointment to the Lord. She didn't pretend she was rising above it or put a better face on it. God doesn't want us to try to clean up our act before we pray to him or tell him what we think he wants to hear. He wants us to pour out our hearts, good, bad, and ugly, to express our deepest feelings, fears, sins. Our prayers don't have to be pretty. God wants sincerity. God wants us to be honest, to tell him. In her prayer for a child, Hannah wraps it in a vow. She addresses God as all-powerful, creator and sustainer of all creation, to look upon her, this one humble handmaid, and see her affliction. Hannah's vow is, if God will give Hannah a child, she will give the child 
back to him. How beautiful is that exchange? In the intensity of her prayer, God inspires Hannah to pledge her child in exceptional, in exceptional service to the Lord. Usually, the Levite priest gives his life to the Lord at age 25 or 30, but she is giving her son to God for his whole life. It's not, this isn't a rash, insincere promise. We might blurt out, oh, I'll be good if you'll just do this for me. Hannah knows the seriousness of the official vow. She's willing to be separated from her child when it means serving the Lord. Even in bringing our own needs and desires to the Lord in prayer, we might think how our requests could serve and bless God and others. As Hannah prayed, Eli the priest, who was nearby, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying passionately from her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk and told her to get rid of the wine. But 1 Samuel 16 says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Eli misinterprets her emotional, voiceless prayer. At that moment, Eli wasn't mindful of God's presence. For Hannah, God's presence was urgent. In response to Eli's accusation, Hannah doesn't get angry. She immediately, and in no uncertain terms, sets the record straight. Eli rebounds and offers a blessing that God may grant her what she asked of him. Part three. Now we enter the after part of the prayer. Hannah is done praying. Immediately after, something extraordinary happens. Absolutely nothing has changed in Hannah's circumstances. There's no guarantee she'll get what she prayed for. Yet verse 18 tells us Hannah's face was no longer sad. No more tears. Something happened in the prayer that changed her from the inside out. She had genuine relief from her burden. Scripture says Hannah went her way and ate. Her appetite would not be back unless she was truly at peace. She believed her plea had been heard. God had transformed the heart she had poured out upon him. Soon thereafter, in verse 20, we learn Hannah did indeed have a son. Samuel. Hannah got what she asked for. We know that God does not always answer our praise the way we would want. We don't always get the job we desire. Our dream doesn't always come true. Sometimes loved ones are not healed as we had hoped. Yet, it was before anything had changed that Hannah felt her peace, before anything had improved. Whether she has a child or not, Hannah knows her value has been restored by God. Her worth does not depend on what she can accomplish or what someone says about her. Her value comes from the Lord himself. Her identity is in the Lord. He meets her longing with his loving presence and gives her peace. He has transformed the curse she felt into a blessing. Hannah knows something has happened in the prayer, and it's happened within their relationship. No circumstance had budged an inch. 
God develops our relationship with him in prayer. After Samuel was born and she had weaned him, Hannah did just as she had promised. She brought Samuel to the house of the Lord, and Samuel remained there in service to the Lord. Hannah spills forth her feelings in her prayer in chapter 2. She begins with, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Well, you could say, well, of course she's happy. She got what she wanted. But remember, she's handing over her beloved child, who was between two and four years old, to a lifetime of service to the Lord. Her joy and love is not only for the gift of her son, but more so for the one who gave the gift. Her prayer is all praise. She says, my horn is lifted high. The Hebrew word for horn means strength, honor, power. Then we find God has done something else. Hannah uses the word horn at the end of her prayer. In verse 10, Hannah says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn or strength, honor, power of his anointed. Anointed. The Greek word for anointed in the New Testament is Christ. It's no accident that this is the first time anointed has been used in the Bible in relation to king. The title, his anointed, points to the king of kings, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Within Hannah's prayer, over a thousand years before Christ came, she has given birth to Samuel. Samuel became the man who found and anointed David to be king of Israel. It's through the royal line of the son of David that Christ came. God has done this amazing thing. From the mustard seed of a humble, heartfelt prayer in faith to the God she believes in, God has grafted one person's story into his, into his master plan of salvation for Israel and for the world. Nothing happens in prayer. No one hears us and no one acts on it. So much happens in prayer, we don't even know how much. Prayer in action. All in our relationship with God for our good and his glory. So here's our call, these four things. One, we come to him first. Two, we're honest. Three, we pray with all our hearts. We pray out our needs, our sins, our fears. Four, we can offer service, we can offer to serve him and others in gratitude for his loving presence, hearing our prayer. In response, God transforms us into the likeness of his son. He gives us worth, forgiveness, peace, blessings, and grafts us into his salvation plan. God can act without prayers, but he wants to draw us to him. So he chooses to act through our prayers, to love us and grow our love for him. When we pray, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when we pray, let us regard who we are praying to, to the one who so loved the world that he gave his anointed, the Christ, to redeem us 
who paid for our sins by hanging on a cross. Jesus Christ, our high priest, who understands our anguish and hears our silent prayers. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you, thank you for giving us the wonder of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.